My name is Ian and I help with the Christianity Explained course. The passage this morning is Romans chapter 11 verses 33 to chapter 12 verse 2. If you don't have a Bible, there are free Bibles at the back. You're welcome to take one and follow along. Romans chapter 11 verse 33. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, perfect and pleasing will. Well, good morning everyone and, and my name is James, I'm, I'm the lead pastor here and I've got the joy of opening up God's word for us this morning. We're in a, in a new series where we're looking at what it means to be disciples of Jesus. Uh, normally our bread and butter is we look at books of the Bible and, we, and, we, and we, we dissect them and we have a look through them week by week, chapter by chapter. But what we're going to do for the next five weeks is we're going to look at five topics that we believe at the centre of what it means to be a disciple and in, and in ways what we think we need to be as we grow together. And so we're going to be looking at these topics. And so last week we saw that our mission is to make and grow disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. We saw that that's what Jesus has commissioned us to do. And so over the next five weeks, over the next five weeks, we're going to be looking um, at magnification, mission, maturity, membership, ministry, and we're going to be looking at those things and going, hey, we think these are five ways in which we can sum up what it means to be a disciple and how we are to grow. Now, what's helpful about this is that often as individuals, we're good with one or two of these and the other ones, we're different, we're not so. And so what we want to do as a church, this helps us to go, hey, what does it mean to be healthy? You know, where are we good at? Where are we needing to improve? And, and constantly, we want to be growing in these five areas as we make and grow disciples of Jesus. And so today, we're looking at magnification, which is really worship about loving God. It's really about our delight and praise of Him and how it shapes all of our lives and that we are centered on Him. So let's get into it. We've got a big one today. Um, so let's pray and ask God to help us as we have a look at this, this subject. Heavenly Father, we pray that your spirit will now be at work convicting us, shaping us, Lord, that as we consider who you are and what it means to worship, that we will delight more and more in you. Lord, may we not be the centre, but may we have you at the centre. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Life centred on you leads to an uncentred life. Life centred on you leads to an uncentred life. 
Arndo, he had a TV show called Arn's Brush with Fame. Now, on this TV show, Arn would interview guests and then he would paint a portrait of them. And one day on this show, he had Carrie Bickmore come on the show. And she came on the show and towards the end of the interview, he asked her this question. What is life all about? And as he asked that question, you could see that tears were welling up in her eyes. And she said this, I don't know and don't often stop to think what life is all about. The atheist Peter Atkins says this, he said, science has no need of purpose. All the extraordinary, wonderful richness of this world can be expressed as growth from the dunghill of purposeless, interconnected corruption. What he's saying is an atheist saying, well, actually, there is no purpose in life. There is no meaning. You're just a bunch of you know, things put together. It's just happened. And so, therefore, there is no purpose and meaning in life. And yet on the other side, scientists are starting to realise that actually to live a healthy and joyful life, you actually need purpose. The book by, um, by this author, by Victor Stretcher, he wrote a book called Life on Purpose. And basically what he's arguing is that we are starting to realise that if you want to have a joyful and happy life, you actually need to have purpose in it. And so he, he, basically that's what the whole book is about, about how we need a purpose in life to find happiness and, and joy. And yet as we look at those, there's a contradiction there, isn't there, that, that our world on the one hand says it's purposeless and yet for us to seek contentment and life and joy, we need purpose. And I reckon that's where Christianity comes in. It actually tells us that actually, no, we were created with purpose and that purpose is to glorify God and love him forever as one uh, the Westminster Confession says we are our chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever and so this morning we're going to be thinking about magnifying God what it means to love God and so I've got three questions for us the first one is who is at the center of our existence how are we to respond to that and then what it means for us here at Toon Gabby Baptist Church as we move forward. Now, if you are not a Christian here today, or maybe you're a young Christian, when we think about this topic, that God is at the centre of his story and not you, that is quite confronting. See, who is at the centre of our existence? God is at the centre of his story, not you. And that can be confronting for us. But can I just ask us to hang in there for a moment? Because if there is a God and he has created us to have a special purpose, then that actually frees us to live the life that we're meant to live. See, God is at the center of his story, not you. Why? Because we're created with a purpose. Now, this shirt I've got on, I bought it from a shop. It was created with a purpose. It's extra large. It's meant to fit, fit a guy like me. It's meant to keep me warm. Da, da, da. It has a purpose. And God created us with a purpose. Grab your Bibles. Go to Ezekiel 36. I'm going to go to Genesis 1 while you go to Ezekiel 36. Because in Genesis chapter 1, we find out that we're actually made with a purpose. God on day 6, he, He's created all these other animals. He's, he, he, the, the ocean's beautiful, the, the birds, the trees, everything like that. And we find out in Genesis chapter 1 that God has made us above everything else. We're His special creation. We're above all things. 
God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. To be made in his image is to represent him to the world. God blessed them. Now, God doesn't make the other animals in his image. No, no, we're above it. he's, He's made us special with a purpose. He blesses them and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves around. See, we were created with a purpose to be made in the image of God, to represent him and to bring glory to him. It shows, it's to show the world that God rules here. We were created to show the world that God rules here, that He is the King, He has authority over every room, and we are to go out and fill it with His glory. We were made primarily to bring glory to God. But we also know that we've failed in that. Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve decide, no, we want the glory rather than you, and we don't want to be centered around you, we want to be centered around us. See, that's what sin is. Yes, lying, cheating, stealing whatever that yes they are sin but actually the real sin is under that where we go i want the glory i want to have the fame that's at the center it's we want to be worshiped rather than god and it doesn't take long for this centeredness to get to genesis chapter 4 and we find that cain kills abel it's not a good track record and you just keep going through the bible and we see constantly that we think we are at the center of existence, that we are at the center of this world. But what we find is that sin has separated us from God. It short-circuited us so that the natural and instinctive flow of worship from our hearts that's meant to go to God is centered on us. And we get to Ezekiel chapter 36. Up until now, we, you know, we, we see that the people of God, the people of God are... Um, They've been rescued, they've been redeemed to display the glory of God. And yet, over and over, history tells us that the people of God kept profaning God's name of rebellion over and over again. Israel were meant to represent God to the world. When the world saw these people, they were meant to go, wow, look who these people are. Who's their God that they're worshipping? And yet they kept failing at it. And in in chapter 36, verse 22, we find these words where God's going to speak through Ezekiel. Say to the Israelites in verse 22, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. What's he about to do? He's going to redeem them and rescue them. But it's not primarily for their sake. It's for my holy name which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name you have profaned among them. And then the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the sovereign Lord, when I am proved holy through you before their eyes. See, God is saying, I'm going to redeem you for my sake, for my glory. Because you've profaned me among the nations. You haven't represented me well. They were meant to represent God to the world. Now, it's a bit, it's a bit like this. A couple of years ago, I was at Combank Stadium 
watching a game of rugby union. Now, rugby union's better than NRL, and NRL's way better than AFL, and we just, we, let's, let's leave it at that. And I was at a rugby union game, and I'm there watching it. My boys are there with me, and I looked over to one end of the stadium, and there was this bunch of teenage boys lined up there, and I knew that they were from Knox Grammar School. How? They had their uniform, they had their blazer and it had the Knox uniform on it. As you walked around, they would sing their chant, their, 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 their words and they'd jump up and you could tell that they were from Knox Grammar School. And, and what, we walked around and, and Harvey met one, one of his friends from Forbes who obviously been sent off to Knox Grammar School. But you can, I can imagine what would have happened. Their teachers or their principal would have said as they got on that bus, boys, remember who you are. You're from Knox Grammar you're wearing that jersey and your behaviour will be a reflection upon us. If you do that, you'll disregard the school. Or if you, and, and so, do you see what's happening? Israel were meant to reflect God, but they profaned Him because they wanted to be at the centre, not God. God is at the centre of His story, not you. Now, I reckon you've got an objection there. That sounds self-centered, doesn't it? To think that God would be at the center. Like, that's self-centeredness. You know, we shouldn't be about ourselves, but God can be about Him. Or you think, if He's at the center, then what about if God has redeemed for His glory, for His name's sake, well then, what about God is love? That God loves us. And, and you start thinking, well, what do we do with that? Well, that's what we've got to do. When you do theology, you've got to re- wrestle with this. And sometimes what we do is we elevate certain doctrines higher than other theology than we ever should. See, primarily, it's all about God. It's about His glory. It's about His fame. It's about Him. But under that is God's love. And his self- so so we've, got to, we've just got to navigate that. So it's not saying that God is not love. And we're going to find over the next four weeks that there's, there's ways in which we live in community, that, that we grow and, and, and we navigate with this. But here we're seeing that God is at the centre, not us. But you might go, but that's selfish. Well, put it this way. If we worship anything else but God, that's idolatry, that's self-centeredness. But then what about God? How come he can, it's about him. Because if, if he puts you at the centre... Because God is holy and righteous, if he's to put you at the center, he commits idolatry and God cannot do that. But secondly, if he's to put you at the center, you become a God. Now, do you really want the weight of the world on your shoulders? Do you you actually want to feel that? Do you actually want that? See, God's at the center of his story. And here's why being at the center of your own story doesn't work. See, to be at the centre of your own story means that you are trying to find life, meaning and purpose in your pursuits and the things that you do. So you might be here today and you go, I'm not religious. Well, actually, being non-religious is religious. You might go, I want to be free from all laws. I don't want to do this. I want to live how I feel. I want to live however I want. I want to be free to express myself however I feel. And therefore, I'm not about law. And you, go, and you look at all those religious people and go, they're trying to make something. Well, actually, as you do that, you are actually trying to pursue the happy life in that. You're trying to make that happen for you through that. That's religion. But don't worry, as you look at those people who are trying to do it through the law, they're in just as much trouble as well. Maybe you're here today and you like just attending church because it's going to make you right with God. 
You know, that the idea of religion is I'm going to be a law obeyer. I'm going to do everything that God commands me because as I do that, God's going to be happy with me and he'll restore that relationship. That's religion. That's centered on you. There's no hope in that. As Jonathan Edwards says, your good deeds will not keep you out of hell any more than a spider web can stop a falling rock. Both, are, both will lead you nowhere. And so is there actually any hope for us? Well, in Ezekiel, there's hope in the next couple of verses. There's almost this glimmer of hope of of this gospel, of of something that God's going to do. Have a look at verse 24. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Have a notice here that it's not them doing it. It's actually God. I'm going to do it. I will sprinkle clean water on you. I will make you clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So when you've got a heart of stone, you can't do anything. See, here, even God redeeming Israel is for him, but he gives us new hearts so that we can worship him correctly to put him back at the center. See, that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the hope of the gospel. The gospel puts him back at the center. The gospel is the answer to life. Jesus is the answer that that God sent his son into this world. See, that the gospel is actually all about Jesus and what God has done through his son, that he lived the life that we could not live. He died the death that we should have died. He was raised from the grave. See, the gospel is all the good news about what Christ has done, that we can be restored and reconnected to God through Christ. That's the good news for us. And therefore now, connected through him, we can now worship correctly. See, God's mission is to redeem people for his glory. The gospel is at the center of that. And how do you have, get this through gospel? It's through faith in Christ. It's nothing we do. We just rest on the finished work of Jesus. That's why it's not religion. Because it's not what you do or don't do. It's all of what Christ has done that is given to you through faith. And so we get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4. We get to the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 4 and we start to see who's at the center still. See, the Apostle John is taken up into the heavens when he was there at Patmos. He's taken up into the heavens to see the reality of what it was in the heavens then. And we're going to see what the reality is of what is in the heavenly realm right now. See, in in Revelation chapter 4, who's at the center? Everyone is centered around a throne. Living creatures. They've got covered eyes. Verse 7, the first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. And was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying. Have a listen to what they said. They were centered around, singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the creatures, living creatures give glory, honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne. And they worship him who lives forever and ever, and they lay their crowns down. See, to lay your your, your crowns down is to say, I no longer have the authority 
but I'm giving it to Jesus. You have authority over my life. I'm no longer the centre, you're the centre. And who's sitting there at the centre? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be centred correctly. See, God is, not, God is at the centre of the story, not you. Christ is at the centre of who we are. Now, Nicholas Copernicus, a Polish astronomer, in the 16th century, discovered something that changed the world and how we thought. Up until the 16th century, us humans believed that everything revolved around the planet Earth. Isn't that typical of humans? It all revolves around us. We thought that the sun, the moon, the planets, everything revolved around planet Earth. And as astronomers and human beings, we just couldn't quite get it right. There was something wrong. We couldn't see why it was like that. Everything just didn't seem to add up as we thought like that. But Capertius discovered and changed the way we thought because he realized that planet Earth was not the center. The sun was, and we revolved around it. It was at the center. And it wasn't until they saw that the sun was at the centre, did it actually make sense? Did it actually give meaning? Did it actually give way to understand how the world and the universe and the galaxies functioned? And it's the same. We will not understand life, meaning and purpose until we see Jesus at the centre. That he's at the centre of our existence. So who's at the centre? Who's at the centre of our existence? Well, God is. God is at the centre, not us. And so here's the second question I want to ask. How are we going to respond to being centred on God? How are we going to be centred on God? How are we going to respond? Well, we are to respond by magnifying God. We respond by, we magnify by making much of Him. That's our second point. We are to make much of God. See, magnifying is to make much of Him. It's to love God. It's to have a growing sense of delight and pleasure in Him. Now, to magnify, now, and our, idea, our ideas of magnifying is to grab a magnifying glass and to get something that's small to make it big. Some of you wear glasses to make the letters that are small big. That's not magnifying what it means by the Bible. Magnifying is to make something big that's already existingly big. We're just to make big what's already big. Now, in God's grace and providence, He made me tall. And He made me tall. And he said, be a mechanic for a while so that you're under a hoist that's this big. I knock my head, I'm tall. And even though I'm 39, people still ask me, James, are you still growing? I haven't grown probably for the last 15 years. I haven't grown a mill, I've probably shrunk. And everyone's like, oh man, you're so big, you're so tall. Yes, yes, God made me that way. Now, over the last couple of years, we've had the joy of Zoom, Skype, all those kind of things. And I've got to meet lots of people online in the, in the sense of Zoom, right? And, and they get to know you have conferences, you talk with them. And they get to see me on a TV screen this big. They're sitting back in the chair with the, and, and they see James. They've got, they got this view of me that's this big. And I've met some of them over the last couple of months. And guess what they say to me every time they see me? Wow, James. I never knew you were so big. On Zoom, you looked this big. I had no idea you'd be six foot five. Now, I'm not God. But do you see what worship of God is and magnifying God? It's actually, it's not making something small big. It's actually having our faces unveiled to the bigness and making much of the one who already is much. 
seeks to unveil to see the glory and the majesty of who he is. And that's where we get to in Romans chapter 11. Did you have a look at that? Now, in the book of Romans, up to Romans chapter 11, it's all thick, heavy theology of the sovereignty of God, about God in salvation, about we were dead in our sins, but he's made us alive. It's about the Spirit in chapter 8. But there's this whole story of God's gospel. And we get to Romans chapter 11, verse 33. And we've got to understand that in light of all this bigness of God, it calls us to worship him. Did you notice that in verse 33? Like the depths of his riches, it's like just it's so unsearchable. Who's known the mind of the Lord? Verse 34. Verse 35. Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? And in verse 36, for from God and through God and for God are all things. And to God be the glory forever. Amen. See, in, in light of all this gospel, We are to make much of the glory of God. And therefore, we get to verse 1 of chapter 12. We get to therefore. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, that that means we've received something we don't deserve, therefore, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The idea of proper worship here is logical worship. The right response is to to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Now, to offer your body is to give him everything you do, right? So whether it's sport, whether it's your career, whether it's your family, whether it's church, or like whatever it is, your your body, it's, it's everything we do is meant to be in response and in awe and to honor and respect God. Our whole life is to worship him. Now, One pastor and theologian said this about what is worship. So what is worship? He defined it like this. He said, worship is to to ascribe ultimate value to an object. Right? It's to give ultimate value to an object and it engages your mind, your heart, which is your emotions, and it engages your obedience and your actions. We all do that every day. We ascribe value to something or someone. There's something that we set our hopes and our dreams upon. What is it that you dream about at night? What is it that you imagine about that will bring you that ultimate value? And that whatever that is that's of the ultimate value that you ascribe to, it will inevitably shape your mind, your emotions and your obedience or your actions that you do every day. Whatever you ascribe, ultimate value to it's going to shape you you are shaped by the things you worship you're shaped by the things you worship now here's a bit of an example like maybe you're like i'm not a soccer nut maybe you love soccer right and you're a manchester united fan now if that's what you ultimately ascribe value to right we'll know it right why? Because it shapes your, it shapes you. When they win, you cheer. When they lose the grand final, a fight will break out in a pub. This, like, so we'll know that you, you love them because you've got their jersey on. Now, if you ascribe value to your own sporting career, when you lose, you will be absolutely shattered that you think the meaning of life is gone. See how it shapes, what you worship shapes how you act. Now, this week, I've, I've been watching documentaries on sports people, 
And one of them was on Warney, right? You know, Shane Warne, the greatest leg spin bowler ever. And I heard from three different people, including Shane Warne. The first one was from an English player who said, to be the best, you have to be selfish. And then it went to Shane Warne. And Shane Warne said, I had to be selfish and put myself first at the cost of my family. When I was with cricket, when I wanted to be the best in the world, cricket was my focus. And to be as good as I was, I had to be selfish. And you could see it in his eyes, he knew that that destroyed his marriage and his family. And then Kevin Peterson then said straight away after, there's always a human cost in this pursuit of human greatness. Now, I look around, we don't have a Sash and Tanduka, we probably don't have a warning in the building. You're probably not pursuing greatness in sport. But we are all creatures of worship. We all worship something. We all ascribe value to something. It could be your family. It could be to being a great mum or a great parent and you ascribe value that, that what you want is that you want people to look at you in five years' time and go, hey, you're a great mum, you're a great dad, look how good you've been with your kids. And then once you get to that, you've got to move to something else. And so it might be in your retirement. You want to make sure people acknowledge you because ultimately it's about you getting the, the worship and the value. Now, we may not be like a warning, but we all do it in some form. And it grows us in the delight of ourselves and delight of our own actions. When we're centered on ourselves, do you see that? Life centered on you leads to an uncentered life. But you might be saying, well, James, that's, that's arrogant again, isn't it? To go, hey, God deserves all the honor and glory. Isn't that arrogant? Surely we deserve a little bit. Now, my favorite boxer, don't, don't hold this against me, um, is, it's Tyson Fury. He's my favorite boxer. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. He's, I think he's like five foot seven. He's a beast and no one can beat him, right? Now, he deserves those world champion medals. Now, imagine this, that, that you sitting here, decide to rock up on that day, stand next to him, it is totally naive of you to say, I deserve the honour and the praise for this moment when he's just won it. It's just crazy for us to even think like that. And so really, it's actually quite crazy for us to even think in comparison to God that we deserve the honour and respect, the glory. When God is so big and so huge and so mighty, because all of us are here today, not by your own merit. We're all here because of someone else. Now, because I think you could, I could safely ask the question, like, you did not tell your parents when to conceive you, right? To think that you're here today because you've done something marvellous. Well, no, you're here because God gives you the length of your life. You are here because of God. Everything in this world that is good is from God. See, he even worked out and made sex with boundaries for us. He's the one who created childbirth in all its beauty and wonder to think that a child could be conceived and would be born seven months later. With, which is, it's incredible in how the universe works. To consider the stars or the mountain goats that climb up vertical mountains. To think about the cattle on a thousand hills. The one who made DNA. That's how big he is. And for us to go, hey, we deserve some honour and glory. It's, 
It's to glorify Him. Our purpose is to glorify the one who's done all that. That's where life and meaning is found. We are to worship and magnify God by making much of Him. See, at the heart of sin is we just worship the wrong things. See, we struggle with sin because we're worshipping the wrong things so often. See, when we struggle with sin, the answer isn't just to say no. You understand that? If you're struggling with porn today, the answer isn't just to say no to it. See, when you, if you're struggling with porn, it, it's, you're finding ultimate value. You're trying to get life and purpose. It affects your mind. It gets your emotions that you need to go back to. Then it shapes your, your actions. But for us to go to you and say, hey, just stop porn altogether and say you need boundaries. Let's put a few things on your internet. That, friends, is not going to solve the problem because it's a matter of worship. We've actually got to shift what we're worshiping to God. And so whether you're here as a bloke or a woman who always has to say yes to people's questions, you know, you've always got to say yes because your identity and your purpose is found in not letting them down and you just struggle with always being busy because you've got to be, keep people happy so that you have significance and meaning. It shapes your mind. It gets your emotions going. So your obedience is, I'm always going to say yes. So the answer isn't just to say no. The answer is to change what you're worshipping. What you worship shapes how you behave. It shapes your emotions. Here's, like, I don't know whether this is a helpful example or not, but a lovely lady in the church dropped in this beautiful caramel cake to the office this week. And it's been, the staff cut it up for me. They sort of stirred that James is going to eat the whole cake. I'm like, nah, I'm not going to eat the whole cake. No way, I'm fasting for two hours. I'm not going to touch it. And every 20 minutes, the staff would notice I would hop up and I'd go and eat a slice of this cake. I'd go back, I'd go and eat another slice of this cake. I know it's not good for me, but I love cake. I could, and I probably ate half of it. But can I tell you that the answer for me not eating that cake is saying no. I said no five times that day and I still did it. It's not the answer. But you know what I do do sometimes? I buy bottles of mineral water and I put it in the fridge so that when, I, when my body says, you know what, I'm craving for that caramel cake, I go to the fridge and grab the mineral water instead. And in a way with sin, it's in those moments where we're craving that we want to worship that thing, we've got to go, no, I worship the Lord Jesus Christ. He's who gives me my value. And that's, what, it's that, it's, that's a wrestle we have. C.S. Lewis said this, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud piles in a slum because he cannot imagine what, it's, what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea. We are, too, we are far too easily pleased. You see what it's saying? Like, you're making mud piles here and the seas around the corner and we've completely missed it. See, our life and our purpose, we miss it when we're not centered on Christ. We magnify God by making much of Him. Magnifying God, it, it puts us in our place. Magnifying God overcomes our naive self-centeredness. Magnifying God changes our perspective in life and puts other things at the center, which puts ultimately Christ at the center of our life. How are we to live individually? How you live this week, it's to bring glory and honour. It's to live with your body, 
in a way that wants to bring honor and glory to God in everything you do. Whether it's changing a nappy of a three-year-old or whether it's being up at 3 a.m. feeding a child, whether you're going to be the CEO of a corporate bank, whether you're going to kick a footy or walk the dog or whether you're going to mow the lawn, whatever it is, we are to live a life that brings honor and glory to God. We are to bring glory to Him in everything we do. That it's in Him that it shapes our mind and our hearts and our actions. That in every moment of every day, in every second of every minute of every hour, we are to make much of God. Have a look there again at verse 1 of chapter 12. Right, so it's, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in light of this, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, that is your true and proper worship. See, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice upon which this world will see that we have magnified the glory and the wonder of the great God who has rescued us. It's here where we find our purpose and our meaning of a life that we encounter this that's true for us. What is life's purpose? It's to magnify God in everything. To give him the glory. So that as 1 Corinthians chapter 10 says, so whether you eat or whether you drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. See, we're a church about making and growing disciples of Jesus for the glory of God. And for us to be making and growing disciples of Jesus, we want to be making disciples who glorify God. Those who love Jesus, who have him at the center. That as we walk through life, we want to be growing each other in our delight and our praise and our thanks. We want to be disciples who go from, we want to repent and have faith. And so how are we going to do it? How are we going to do it corporately here? Well, that's the third question. By magnifying God on a Sunday. How are we going to do it? As a church, we're going to do it by magnifying God on a Sunday that we love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul and mind. Church, fundamentally, is not about you, but it's actually about God. We want to be redeemed people with heart, deep hearts of repentance to turn from us being centered on ourselves to being centered on Christ. We want to be people of deep faith who go, we're going to trust God's word as the creator, even though it sounds ridiculous and we're going to act on it. It means that as a church as a whole, there's going to be times where you are going to be offended by who God is. You're going to be offended by his word. And that statement isn't for the person sitting next to you, it's for the person who's sitting in your seat. We need to be offended. There'll be times where we are going to get offended. There's going to be times where we, we just, it's just delight as we are offended, but actually grasp who God is. See, true life and meaning can only be found in God. And so our primary means of doing this here at Toongabi Baptist Church is on a Sunday service at 10 a.m. and at 5.30 p.m. We are here. That our worship is shaped by its worth by the worth of our King. And that means for us as a church, you can't be a balanced Christian. We don't want to be a church where you live the balanced life of just a little bit of religion on a Sunday and the rest of the week you walk out. Or to have a little bit of balanced religion where you go, Sunday service is really just, it's if my calendar allows it to happen, then I will come along. Because actually, the shape of that worth is shaping us rather than the king. 
We want to be Christians who are sold out, who are centered on Christ. Why? Because ultimately Christ is the one who ultimately glorifies God. There is only one who has ultimately done that, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He ultimately glorified his Father when he went to the cross and he was crucified in our place. He brought ultimate glory to his Father through that, through his life, death, and resurrection. And now he is seated, exalted in the throne room. And therefore, Paul, the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10 says, Therefore, because Jesus has done that, God right now in this very moment is using his church to display his glory to the world. It says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, that when we gather as a church on a Sunday, or if you're in another part of the world, and it might be a Friday, whatever day it is, as you gather in this moment with our motley crew of people here, from all parts of the earth. When we gather here, God is displaying to the devil, He's displaying to the evil spirits, He's displaying to the heavenly realms in which we cannot see. He's saying, I have won, I've had the victory, and the glory is for me. Do you notice that's what happens when we meet on a Sunday? Don't think Sunday is just some light little thing that you just come to and tick the box off. The devil doesn't want us to meet. Because when we meet, we are displaying the absolute glory and the wonder of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he's brought redeemed people who were in darkness and he's brought us into light. He's brought people who were lost without hope and he's given us life in his son. That's why we come and we sing. That's why we go, we will be at church. We gather on a Sunday because of what Christ has done. We gather on a Sunday to praise Christ and lift his name. We gather because it displays the glory of God. It displays what he has done. See, if if you believe that you can be a Christian without going to church, I think you've missed the point. Now, church will never save you. Your attendance doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. But don't believe that it's not central. Boy, it is. And so, be here every week. Now, maybe you're in the habit of of drifting and you've you've drifted from that. Maybe that's you. The the, the whole calendar is just so busy that, that you turn up tired, exhausted, and it's just something that you fit in where you can. Can I just encourage you to, to get a, a bigger glimpse of the worth of who Christ is? But also, actually, I actually really want to encourage us as a church for a moment. Because as I've been here for three years, this is my third year here, over the last year, year and a half, do you know what's happened? Our regularity has increased. So can I encourage you with that? That means that your delight and your praise of God is growing. Your affections for Him is changing. That is a beautiful thing. And be encouraged that we have seen more regular attendance over the last year. Keep doing it. Don't let the worth of success and glory of this world, don't let it strip you of gathering with Christ's bride on a Sunday. It's, it should be what we look forward to every week. It should be when you wake up Monday morning, I can't wait for next Sunday. It should be the thing that we delight to come and gather with God's people, to have joy, to come. We're going to sing, we're going to pray, we're going to, we're going to talk to each other, and we come because of Christ. We love it, we look forward to it. And so we sing, we come, let us sing, let's lift our voices. It means, men, 
You know, sometimes it's hard to open our voices. You don't have to be on key. Just open. It means to be here on time. Now, now, I understand that sometimes life's busy, you've got kids, there's traffic. I'm not talking about that kind of stuff. But if you are strategically late every week to miss the first three songs, I think you need to think for a moment about what's priority. Because we sing to our King and we do it together, not solo. You can do it at home perfectly well and that's worship. But when we gather, we sing to our King. It means that we preach. We have 160 hours in our week. It means we're not going to give 15 minutes to having God speak to us. We're going to let him shape everything we do. Because see, we want to be a church that's growing in our delight of God. Therefore, we are not a primarily about meeting your needs. Now, we, we hope you will be happier, more joyful, more delightful. And that's a wonderful thing for us. And, and we're going to see that over the next four M's. That's a wonderful thing for us to do. But primarily, it's about God. And those things will flow beautifully from that. So let's never be a day where we never uplift the name of Jesus. May there never be a day where we don't make much of him. May there never be a day where our bodies are not offered as a sacrifice in all that we do for our king who is seated on his throne. Because see, a life centered on you leads to an uncentered life. Let's pray. Father, we want to make much of you and your glory and your majesty Father, we are sorry that we so often centre ourselves on, on, on ourselves. But Father, we pray now and we turn to you. And Lord, may your Spirit do a powerful work in us so that we repent. To see where it is in our lives that we've ascribed ultimate value to. So that we can go, no, no, our value, ultimate value is to be ascribed to you, O Lord. And so Father, we pray now that we will do that. And we pray, Lord, now that as your holy people who have been redeemed, that we will now lift our voices in response to your glory and your majesty. And may we never grow tired of that. And we pray this for the sake of your glory. Amen.